0: Church, God bless you. We're in the middle of a great resurrection weekend. We had a wonderful time last night in our Good Friday uh, service, and we reflected upon the great uh, sacrifice that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, made for us. And tomorrow morning, uh, we're going to celebrate resurrection uh, with all tree of life, and it's going to be a great time in our homes. It's going to be a little unusual. But we're learning that God's Spirit moves wherever we need Him to move. And and this is something that has been amazing, that has come from this uh, experience of quarantine. And uh, we're going to have a great resurrection Sunday morning, tomorrow morning at 10.30 a.m. And uh, we just give God all the praise. We're in the second day of the resurrection weekend which is the Sabbath. And this, of course, reflects the burial of Jesus after he was crucified and before he was resurrected. There was a Sabbath where a day of rest buried into the earth and, and seemingly nothing was happening. The day of the crucifixion was intense, to say the least. The day of the resurrection was jubilant and the victorious uh, truth that resounded on that day of resurrection. But this is the Sabbath, the day when he just remains buried in the earth. And I want to point out that, that there is a need for rest and a need for Sabbath. We have been kind of forced into a place of rest. And on this night, We're going to receive the Word of God. I just want you to let it minister to you. Uh, We're going to receive it from one of our very dear friends, one of our favorite preachers here at Tree of Life Church, Brother Luwami Diaz, no stranger uh, to us. And he's going to bless you with the Word of the Lord. I really appreciate him taking the time to deliver God's Word to us on this Saturday night before resurrection sunday and uh, we thank brother diaz for that receive him into your home and into your heart as he brings the word of god to you
1: tree of life church blessings to you um it is so good to greet you even from afar um and uh many greetings pastor joel pastor heidi and uh, the rest of the congregation, I abs- we absolutely love you guys, and thank you for allowing me to come into your living rooms or wherever you're watching right now. Um, today is Saturday, and in the grand scheme of things, you know, on, on, in uh, Passion Week, it's kind of like uh, you know how the middle child syndrome—that's kind of how Saturday is in the in Passion Week. Um, No one really knows what to do with it. It's kind of like, well, you know, you've got Calvary, you've got the resurrection, but uh, what do you do with the burial? What do you do with Saturday? I want to go into uh, the book of Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to read verse 57 through 61. So if you have your Bibles, come with me and uh, we'll kind of discuss this a little. Now, when evening had come, There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in the new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. I've I've just got a little thought here for you guys on this Saturday. And uh, if you'll come with me um, and let's discuss the cost of being buried with Christ. The cost of being buried with Christ. See, for most of us, we are very familiar with uh, the gospel. If you're part of a Christian faith, somehow or another, you are well aware of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The gospel is the good news of the salvation that was uh, given to us, offered to us on Calvary through Jesus Christ. And we obtain it if we believe in him through faith. By grace are you saved through faith perhaps the, the crowning jewel of the gospel for us today, today's day and age is the cross, you know, the cross, uh, because we make much of the cross. Uh, people wear it around their necks. People tattoo it to their bodies. Uh, people pray to the cross. People do the uh, the sign of the cross. Uh, we have great songs that honor the sacrifice that was paid on our behalf at the cross of Jesus Christ and with good reason, because the cross is the single most important aspect of the expiation of our sins, the atonement of our sins. The cross is the single most important element of the gospel in that sense. And what about the resurrection? We also look forward to resurrection Sunday, you know, Uh, How many times I've seen people tweet, it is Friday, but Sunday is coming. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important aspect of the gospel. It is the event that marks a before and an after in all of human history. We look forward to the resurrection on Passion Week. We sing about the resurrection. We preach about the resurrection. We extol and we celebrate the resurrection and the miracle that it was. Frankly, we must do so because unless, according to Paul, you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and watch this, you have to believe it in your heart that God raised him up from the dead unless you believe that you are not saved. So believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is not optional for Christians. According to scripture, it is an important component of our saving faith. You know, that's why we sing that song, he is Lord, he is Lord. Uh, He has risen from the dead and he is Lord because you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and then believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead. When I when I read the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, I find these two elements in the gospel. There, there's a powerful declara- declaration of what the gospel is. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, um, what is commonly seen by scholars as one of the earliest creeds uh, of the apostles. In the first four verses of that 1 Corinthians 15, we get a sense of what the gospel is. This is what it says. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I I like that. Let me pause there just to say, that's kind of like the progression of faith, the progression of salvation, right? Salvation is a process. That's the progression of salvation. First of all, you preach it, then you have to receive it. Receiving it isn't isn't just mental calisthenics or saying to yourself, I believe, I believe. uh, You know, receiving it uh, implies that there's some action behind it. There's the obedience of that faith that you are receiving. But not only, you know, how will they hear unless, uh, unless there's a preacher. So you have to preach it, you have to receive it, but it's not enough to just receive it, you've got to stand on that gospel. And it's not enough to just stand on the gospel. That gospel that saves you, you have to hold fast to that word that was given to you unless you believed in vain. So there that's that's a process. You know, from faith to faith, all the way from beginning to end. You've got to stick it out. He who endures to the end the same shall be said Now, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. And this is why scholars believe this was a a very early confession of the apostles, like an apostles' creed of some sort, because Paul said, I'm giving it to you, but this is what I received. I received this first. And uh, what did you receive, Paul? He said, Now, Mind you, he's talking about the gospel here. He says, this is what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Well, naturally, you see those two elements there. Uh, You know, Christ died for our sins, and he rose again on the third day. Those are the two big elements, the cross and the resurrection. Any gospel presentation that doesn't include one of those elements of the gospel is lacking severely the cross and the resurrection to bedrock truths of Christianity. And we must adhere to those truths. However, one more look at the text will show you that there's an element of the gospel that is hardly ever talked about. You don't hear any songs regarding this element. As a matter of fact, it's an element that is as ignored as the second page of a Google search. When was the last time you looked at the second page of a Google search? Exactly, you did it. And Christ didn't just die. Christ didn't just resurrect. Do you know what the gospel presentation is according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15? Christ died according to scripture. He also was buried. He was buried and he rose on the third day according to scripture. He was buried. That's just as part of the gospel as the other two elements are. How intriguing that the early church Thought that the burial was important enough to include it into one of its most popular confessions in 1 Corinthians 15. He he wasn't just killed and, and hung high and stretched wide. No, he wasn't just resurrected on the third day, but he was buried on on uh that Passover Saturday. He was buried. We know what the cross signifies for us. And we know what the resurrection signifies for us. But what significance does the burial of Jesus Christ hold for us on this Saturday? Well, let, let me tell you from the start that the theological significance of the burial is, is huge. And I'm I'm only going to deal with, with one or two issues here for lack of time, you know, and, uh, you know, we're not at church where I could keep you for three hours and, and preach forever. So, um, uh, I, so just bear with me, but, but I, I'm, I'm going to deal with a couple of points here. Um, the burial was of great importance. A- and the reason why it's of great importance is because the burial proved that the scriptures were indeed right. That the scriptures were indeed truth. The burial was important because it proved that Jesus Christ was indeed dead. That's the first aspect of the burial that you see. It proved that Jesus Christ indeed was dead. I, I read in the uh read in the Heidelberg Catechism, it is a catechism by the uh, you know, that was written in Germany almost 500 years ago. And the catechism asks the question, why was he buried? Why was Christ buried? And it correctly answers it this way. Christ was buried. His burial testifies that he really died. He, it testifies that he really died. This is important to us, and I'm going to tell you why. Because Muslims believe that Jesus never died on the cross, but he was taken up to heaven. There are some, uh, uh, there are some factions of the Jesus Seminar and, and several other people who also teach that scavenging dogs ate Jesus' corpse. But these positions are co- completely groundless because the sources that were first to report the the you know the the what happened here at Calvary which which were the gospels they all conclude and all agree that Jesus really died all four of them talk about the burial the burial proves that he really died without the burial it would be very hard to prove that Jesus really died And without the burial, it would be hard to prove that he really resurrected from the dead. So the burial is the key evidence that proves both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wasn't left on that cross. He wasn't stolen by his disciples. He was buried. He was buried. This event is so important that the first century believers listen to this. The first century believers, the burial is so important. The first century believers baptized by submersion in water. That's what the word baptizo means. It means submersion, to submerge. This practice evolved. This this practice, of course, had been done before Christian baptism, but it evolved to, to, to take on a different meaning. It evolved to mean the burial of Jesus Christ and our supernatural union with Christ in baptism. Paul says in in, uh, Romans chapter six and verse four that we are buried with him through baptism unto or into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We were buried with him in baptism into death. I have a sneaky suspicion that our baptism serves the same exact purpose that Jesus is buried in. Oh, how confusing it is to say, well, I don't know when I died to sin. Uh, It just kind of happened at some point in time, and I really don't know when it really happened, you know, and many believe that. And I'm not sure when I became a Christian, uh, how confusing that is. How confusing to say, I don't know when I started walking in newness of life. I don't know when my behavior began to change and sin no longer had dominion over me and I'd be, I started being molded to be, to to look like a man, a perfect man. Uh, Christ Jesus, how how easier it is to me to say I was dead on such and such a day because I died to sin. And because I died, I was buried. That is the proof that I had died. I was buried. And that's my proof that I was completely dead um, to sin when I decided that I would be buried. And I'm telling you, the burial serves that same purpose for Jesus. It proves that he really died, just like baptism was proves that we have died unto sin, and sin no longer has dominion over us. The burial is important because it proves that he was dead, and it gives us a resounding evidence for his resurrection. There's a a second reason I know that the burial is important. It's also important because it proves that the scriptures were right, that the scriptures are real. Well, where in the world does the Old Testament deal with the burial? I've read all the prophecies concerning the Messiah before his death. I've read all the prophecies concerning the Messiah while uh, he was, you know, going through the process at Calvary. I've read all the prophecies uh, concerning the Messiah regarding his resurrection. But where does it talk about the Messiah's burial? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. There's a very popular mess- messianic prophecy in the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 53. Uh, you know, he was uh, um, uh, wounded for our transgressions um, and, and et cetera. You, you know the prophecy. It was given almost 700 years before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to I read some of it so that you see something here because this burial was prophesied and there's a key element here that's very important for us to grasp. Starting at verse 6, Isaiah 53 and verse 6, look at what it says. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a slam to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken, and and here is the verse that I wanted to get to in verse uh, verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. There you have it. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The scriptures prophesied that they made his grave with the wicked, but at his death, he was with the rich. Not with the wicked, but with the rich, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Now, tell me, pray, tell me, what in the world does that mean? they made his grave with the wicked. Well, this was a reference to Jesus being killed like a criminal with criminals and we know that that's that's pretty much what happened, right? It was the custom to have criminals thrown into a common grave with other criminals. Now, we don't know if this was a, you know, a, a common grave was a, a, some sort of special place or it was a Gehenna. Uh, where uh, it was kind of like Jerusalem's dumpster. They would throw all the trash there and then they will lit up all the trash, and uh, quite possibly throw in the bodies to be burned, um, the dead bodies of criminals to be burned there, and to have uh, birds uh, scavenge and 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 eat, or, or you know, animals, wild animals to come. W- whatever the case may be, they were all collected into a common grave, and they were thrown in there. It was pretty ambiguous because you didn't know. I mean, you didn't know who was who, what was what. W- which body was which. Uh, they all decomposed. No one was labeled. They were just all criminals and all thrown in there. And so that was the fate that was supposed to, uh, to, to happen to our Lord. That was the fate that was awaiting him. They made his grave with the wicked But something happens, something happens because he had done no violence, says the verse, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So God would not let him be buried with other criminals. He was buried not with the wicked. He was buried at his death with the rich. Well, What does that even mean? Well, let's go back to the text to see how the burial of Jesus confirms this Old Testament prophecy given to us 700 years earlier. You know, the text that we read at the beginning in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57, I I want you to see something. Now, when evening had come, there came, watch this, a rich man from Arimathea a rich man named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. A what? A rich man. How interesting. How many followers of Jesus do, do you know in scripture that were wealthy? not very many. And if they were wealthy, whom? Who, which one of them had a tomb right around Jerusalem? Not very many, especially, you know, a man from Arimathea. We don't know where Arimathea ex- exactly uh, was, but but it couldn't be too far. But it, but And yet, uh, uh, Joseph had a tomb right near Calvary. You know, uh, part of the reason that the Lord didn't provoke any of his other disciples to go bury him, you know, none of the disciples were around to take his body, to beg for his body, to take him to the grave, to bury him was probably because they were all broke. They were all broke. And you can't fulfill scripture if you've got broke people putting you, you know, burying you. And, and so the Lord said, that's, that's not what I need, disciples. I'm gonna put it inside of a man's heart to go and listen. How interesting to me that Matthew decided to call him a rich man. He could have, there there were a number of names he could have called them. He could have called him a good and upright man because that's what Luke calls him in Luke 23 and 50. He could have called him a man of great power as seen by the fact that he was part of the Jewish Sanhedrin or a knowledgeable counselor according to Mark 15 and 43. Mark also claims that he was a man who waited for the kingdom of God. He, a, he could have called him a man who waited, waited for the kingdom of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. John says of him that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. There were so many things he could have been called, and yet Matthew draws attention to the fact that he was rich. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a wealthy man, a rich man. He could have mentioned as Luke did that though the rest of the Sanhedrin condemned Jesus to death, Joseph did not condemn him. He could have said that. All of these were true, but none of those would have proven the scripture. What was it that Matthew brought out to prove the scripture and the prophecies that had been given about this great Messiah? What he brought out was this was a rich man. And why was this so important? Because it proves the veracity of the word of God. He was supposed to lay there with the wicked and the criminals. And yet uh, a rich man came and said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to give you a dignified death. The first Christian burial. I'm going to give you a, a dignified dignified burial, excuse me. And I'm, I'm going to give you that. There's another reason. And, and lastly, the reason why I feel the burial is important to us today. It's because it gives us an example of a man who lost it all to follow Jesus. I, I want you to, I want you to capture this, you know, as I was praying over this, uh, this morning, actually, what I was going to speak on, I, I literally, in my kitchen, I literally wept. I literally wept. We don't know a whole lot about this Joseph of Arimathea, um, but all we truly know about Joseph is that according to John nineteen thirty eight, he was a secret disciple of Jesus Christ, secret disciple of Jesus Christ. Why was he a secret disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, John says, John says, for fear of the Jews, for fear of the Jews. He feared the Jews, he knew. See, this man had a lot to lose. Ladies and gentlemen, this man had a lot to lose. Had the Jews found out that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, he would have lost his lofty role at the Sanhedrin. They would have let him go. Had the Jews found out that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, he would have lost his wealth. He would have lost his prestige. He would have lost his peace because Now him and his family would be ostracized and isolated. He he would have lost his business. He would have lost his comforts. He would have lost all of his earthly possessions because the Jews were cruel to followers of Jesus Christ. The cost was really, really high. But something propelled Joseph on that day. Something moved deep within him on that day. He couldn't hold his peace any longer. He couldn't keep all of this silent. He couldn't keep it a secret anymore. I'm not sure if it was the veil of the temple as it was rent in twain. I'm not sure if it had to do with the sun being darkened or the great earthquake that took place when our savior, uh, uh, you know, gave up the ghost or I- I'm not sure what it was, but something shook him to the core. Something shook him to the core. And you know, this is partly why I know that the Bible is true, and I'm going to tell you why. If you read the account of Matthew here, if you're making up a religion, this is how I know the Bible and Christianity are true. If you're making up a religion, which one of you would write that the main witnesses to the burial and the resurrection of your master were secret disciples? and women, and not you, not you. Do you know when Matthew writes this, it was self-incriminating? Do you know, I would imagine that the shame was oozing through his pen as he wrote those words. It was Joseph and not me that was there to ask for the body. I should have been there. I followed him for three and a half years. I saw some of his greatest miracles. I should have been there, but it was Joseph, a secret follower of Jesus Christ, who was there and not me. Nobody valued the testimony of a woman. As a matter of fact, the testimony of a woman wasn't even permissible in court in those days. And yet Matthew writes of the Marys that they were there with Joseph. They were there. And then those same Marys were the first ones that were there for the resurrection on Sunday morning. They were the ones entrusted with giving the disciples their testimony that Jesus Christ indeed had risen from the dead. You don't make up a religion that way. You don't make up a religion with secret disciples and and women whose testimony was not worth much. You don't make up a religion that way. And yet, that's exactly how Matthew wrote it. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, and the Marys, who was also, uh, you know, uh, Nicodemus was also a, a great teacher over in Israel. They were the ones, and Nicodemus was also a, you know, that's thats who Jesus talked to in John chapter three when he says, you, you must be born again. He came to him at night, if you remember, um, because he was a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. They were the ones to care for the master while the inner circle cowered in a safe shelter back at home somewhere. They were the ones who begged for the body, who who you know who who anointed him with over seventy two pounds of of myrrh and, and and anointing and fragrance. That was only only a king got that type of anointing. Only a king got that type of note. It's it's as though they were saying, you know what? In this world we didn't proclaim you as king, but now in your burial, we're gonna say you are the king of kings. At least if it's up to us, we're gonna we're gonna send you off. But we're gonna send you off as the king that you deserved, deserved to be. Back to Joseph. How remarkable to me that Joseph knew what the stakes were. He followed Jesus at a distance all of his all of his time because he knew what the stakes were. He had fear of the Jews. I feel like someone who is watching right now, you haven't made a decision to be baptized as of yet, to be buried with Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why, because you know what the stakes are you know that there's a cost to all of this. You know that Christianity demands some sacrifices from you. You know that the very sin you love will no longer have dominion over you. You know that Christ will be your master in your all in all. And so you're holding on as much as you can. You refuse to be buried with Jesus Christ because you know there is a cost to following him and to burying him. Could you imagine how that news would spread like wildfire throughout all of Jerusalem that Joseph of Arimathea had had buried Jesus Christ? This was no common guy. He was on the council. He was on the he was in the Sanhedrin as it was called. And that was like the equivalent of of a social uh, justice uh, or uh, a, yeah, a, a a supreme justice, I'm sorry, a supreme justice in today's day and age. Everyone knew who you were. Everyone knew who you were. He would lose his reputation. He would lose his social standing. He would lose his status. He would lose his possessions. He would lose absolutely everything for following Jesus Christ. Something that makes the story that much more remarkable to me personally, and it's why I I was so um, moved this morning as, as I read through it and I studied and I was wrestling with it and, and trying to gather my thoughts. Something that I was really moved by is Joseph trusted Jesus before he resurrected from the dead. How many of us need signs How many of us need visions and signs and wonders? And how many of us need for the Lord to himself to help us feel something before we make our decision to sacrifice for him? But Joseph lost it all. He gave everything he had. Not for a resurrected Christ, no. Even Thomas, who was in the inner circle, even Thomas, who was part of the 12, even him didn't believe it until he touched him. But he wouldn't have faith even in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Joseph believed before the resurrection. Joseph lost it all for a dead man. For a dead man for a limp body that was upon his shoulder. He lost everything for that. So convicted was Joseph that the Bible says that he went to Pilate. And then uh, that in in itself was a, a desecration to the Jews going to Pilate at this time. And he polluted himself by carrying a dead body. That was a desecration. And especially because it was the eve, or as I believe it was Matthew that calls it the day of the preparation, which means Friday, the day before, you know, that's when they make all the preparations for Saturday. If you remember uh, correctly, uh, when the manna was given in the, in the Old Testament, they said you can't eat any of it on Saturday, so you need to on the day before you need to pack up twice as much for the next day, right? That was the day of preparation. That's the day when you prepare before the Sabbath came. But listen, the deal is Joseph carried the dead body of Jesus Christ which was a desecration to Jewish law, which meant he could no longer take act, take act, take or participate in the festivities at the Passover. His wife would not be allowed to participate. his children would not be allowed to participate. they would more than likely get kicked out of the synagogue where they attended One version says Joseph begged for the body of Jesus Matthew uh, in my version said asked but another version says he begged for the body of Jesus Christ. Mark says that he went boldly to Pilate and he went and he asked for his body and it wasn't his right to have that body. The body was given to the next of kin. The body was given to family. But here he is, and that's why he had to beg, beg Pilate, please give me the body of Jesus Christ. Please give me the body of Jesus Christ. I don't think Joseph knew what he was doing, but he was fulfilling scripture, even as he was doing this. And he did it and he was losing it all in the process, but he didn't care. He didn't care. His last act as a wealthy man more than likely was giving everything he had in order to anoint the body, in order to bury the very body of Jesus Christ. Oh God, help us to not live this Christianity without recognizing the sacrifices that have been made by those who have come before us. Help us to see the work you have done for us at Calvary and be willing to be buried with you with all that entails. Help us to count the cost. Help us to be willing to lose it all, to be buried with you. So on this Saturday, on this Saturday, there's so much to think about. There's so much to ponder. How much are we willing to walk with Christ, even if it means that we lose it all? Even if it means that we sacrifice it all, even if it means that we give from our resources, that we give our money, that we give our time, that we give our strength, that we give everything we have. Oh, Lord, help me like Joseph to be willing to lose it all in order to be buried with you. Well, God bless you. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray here on this uh, Saturday evening that you guys would ponder this question, what will it cost me to be buried with Jesus Christ? And then that you would answer, it'll cost me everything, but I am willing, but I am willing. God bless you so much. I love you. May God be with you.